talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. G'day, good evening, good morning, wherever you are, right around Australia. Welcome to the Dropped Kickoff for another week. I'm Nick Wasiliev, and I'm back in the host chair once again. Um, joining me first and foremost is Nathan Williamson. Nathan, how are we doing after after the weekend that was? Oh, look, it's a, it's a tough defeat, wasn't it? You know, it's always a tough result when you, you go down like that. But, you know, full, full stem ahead for the Bledisloe and a couple of World Cup sevens on the weekend. So it's just the show goes on. Indeed it does. And uh, before we get into talking about where the show goes next, we have a we have another special guest uh, joining us this week. With all the talk of referee discussions, uh, you know, questions around w- the world of of how the games game is being managed, I'm incredibly delighted to have joining us this evening, the one and only Graham Cooper. Uh, you know, of course, he's refed games in Super Rugby. He's done NRC. He's done women, uh, World Cups. Graham, good evening, mate. How are you? Yeah, good fellas. How are we? Uh, thanks for having me, first and foremost. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, appreciate it. You're very, very welcome, and it's very, very nice to have you. And I'm going to admit, uh, the, the, the rugby player in, in me is on is making sure I'm on my best behaviour uh, around you this evening, sir. <laughs> it, it always shocks us to hear that as well, when someone's like, oh, yeah, long-time listener, just like, wait, actually? <laughs> That's I take that, yeah, I tell them like, what? Oh, my God, that, that, that means the world. I love it. <laughs> People listen to the show. Hell, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but without further ado, let's dive into the discussion. And we're first of all going to talk about the, the Wallabies performance of course, as mentioned, the Wallabies went down uh, to the Springboks in Sydney, eight to twenty-four. And um, we also might touch on the uh, the All Blacks uh, Pumas game as well, which was a very interesting match. Um, well, from that, we'll we'll dive straight into the topic around the refereeing, the laws, and discussion around that, because obviously this last fortnight of rugby has seen very interesting polarizing reactions to how uh, the games have been refed and analysed. Um, so we'll be calling on Graham's uh, expertise on that. Uh, then we'll be jumping into a discussion of uh, a preview for the Bledisloe. We've got, uh, you know, the squad was announced earlier today um, and we're going to talk about uh, who's in, who's out um, and are we actually a chance uh, of, of potentially coming back with the Bledisloe this year or is it or is it New Zealand peaked at the wrong time once again and uh, we'll be on the receiving end of some, of some tough scores, who knows. And then lastly, we'll be diving into the Sevens uh, and of course the Walroos who are now getting ready for the World Cup once again. All right, lads, let's dive first and foremost into this match. The Wallabies, yeah, this was a weird game. It was a very strange game. And I think many were expecting the Springboks to to bite back following that loss in Adelaide. But uh, I think it, this result has kind of caught a lot of people by surprise. Graham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw to you first. Uh, did you catch the match? What were your initial thoughts? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I, I caught it after the fact. Um, but I think it was just a, a case of the Springboks responding to a pretty poor performance the week before, to be honest. Um, I, I think being at in Adelaide, um, they looked pretty flat and whatever reasons that was. Um, and then I think a, a couple of strategic changes to a starting team for the Springboks um, gave them a bit of um, 
energy is most probably the best way to put it. Um, and I think it was all led by old Mal Malcolm Marks in the front row at number two, mate, um, in amongst everything. So I think that's that's how it all started, to be honest. A couple of younger members joining that Springbok squad. And then I think the, the Wallabies just, I, I don't think they turned up physically um, in, in comparison to the Springboks, mate. It's it's always good when uh, when your number two stands up. And God, I mean, everyone has been talking about Malcolm Marks for donkey's ears and how how much of a menace he is in general play, not just at set piece, but also especially around the around the ruck and stealing ball. Um, God, he had an impact. Also, I was impressed by Willie Willie Larue. I think he's kind of been hanging around the outside of that uh, of that squad, kind of coming in off the bench for a while. But he's looked he's looked the goods in terms of, uh, you know, whenever he has. And that movement to, to fullback, the starting fullback role, clearly just play, paid enormous dividends for that side. Um, it was it was just, it was a case, I thought, of just real all-round aggression. Uh, they were, they were, they really wanted to make a statement. They really wanted to kind of, uh, it was a case of just wanting it more. Natho, what happened here with the Wallabies? What's going on? I mean, yeah, I just got to agree with what both you guys have echoed so far. Like, it, it, that collision battle is so important. And it honestly, I don't think there was a, like a, a five, at least a five minute, let alone a 50 minute or 80 minute period where we dominated it. Like, they just seemed like every single time they took the ball up, they just flattened us and we had nothing. And, you know, when you, tr you know, the Feds held strong for the first half, like outside of that, it was before that, um, try to, that the young flyer Moody, like, they were looking good. They were they were holding in. They were kind of doing what the Wallabies have done in the past, just staying in the fight, trying to wait. As soon as they got the opportunity in 22, they took points. They kept themselves in it. But it just – that try before the half and the one after the half just killed them. It just – they had nothing nothing in the tank, and they really just looked flat for the rest of the game. So it was disappointing that we we're kind of sitting here after another disappointing performance – where you know we've come, we've come out, won the first test, looked a million bucks, and then come in and just kind of, it's like we've bet it all in Casano and lost it. It's just <laughs> <laughs> love you throwing a throwing a punt analogy in there. <laughs> but the, the question, so should we be concerned about this? Because this is obviously this has happened a few times now this year, um, uh, particularly with you know with the Wallabies, of course, like you know teams are, are chopping and changing, combinations are being worked on, and this is obviously not going to happen overnight. Um, and obviously, like in the last few years, particularly you know the last this year and last year, the Wallabies have probably produced you know arguably some of the best performances that we've seen from them in the last decade um, under Rennie, uh, particularly with that out of nowhere win streak that they had last year. Um, this year, though, it's been very noticeably different. There's been a, they've almost kind of taken the mantra of the days of France of old of you never know which side is going to show up. Um, Graham, what's your what's your thoughts here? Are you thinking that there's is it, what's going on in the side? Is it just a case of complacency? Is it a case of combo, combinations? What's can this and also more to the point, can this sort of inconsistency that seems to have started to kind of develop since pretty much the start of this year can it be fixed? Uh, mate, I think it. I think it definitely can be fixed, and I think one of the the, the things that we we always mention about a, a solid, consistent team is is that spine. So that hooker, that number eight, number nine, ten, and fifteen, and 
Mate, we haven't, from a Wallabies perspective, we haven't really had any consistency through the middle of the team um, this year with Parecki playing a couple of games in Argentina, getting injured, then Falau coming back in. Um, obviously, Nick Weitzman has probably been the, the most consistent. Nick and um, Valentini being the two, I, I guess, ones that have been there for every test this year. Um, but then losing Quaid, Alessio coming in, and then pretty much having a different fullback for, for each one of the games is, isn't great. Um, and until we find that spine, I think we, we potentially will be inconsistent for a little while. I think just on that point as well, I think it's that gets amplified, particularly when world rugby is so tight right now. Like, and we can't, you can't afford to be, you know, five or 10 percent off. Like, you, you might have been against, say, Argentina last year, or, you know, maybe before that Japan test comes to mind where we were, we were flat and still somehow got the job done. Like, it really seems like every, te- like, they've got the check, Argentina's got the checker juice. Like, the rugby championship teams are all just kind of firing at the same time. Likewise with the Six Nations. Like, it's, it's one of those things, if you're not at, you know, higher than 95%, you're going to get found out by teams. And it's kind of, that seems to have been the thread throughout. Like we've, we've looked really good in our day, but those days have just haven't been enough. Yeah. I do have a question though around the, the consistency point that you make, because it was interesting to note that before this test match, it was Rennie finally named an unchanged side. And I think it was the first time that he had named an unchanged side, probably since coming to the, coming into the role of coach. So there was clearly an idea or a sense that finally we've got the idea of what the settled backbone of this squad is going to look like, at least from a team perspective. Do we think it's uh, – obviously, the, do you think what's the – what's where's the go-to from there? That's That was kind of the, the more concerning thing, that we had the same squad – Either it was a sense of complacency or let's just, they were assuming that the, the the Springboks were going to do the same stuff again. Um, or was it a case of just a lack of proper game ad- adaptation when uh, they realised, oh, hey, there's actually, there's a bit more, there's going to be a bit more bite to this match this weekend? Yeah, mate, I think, I think on that, I think, yes, we did name an unchanged team, but when you lose your 10 early, your centre gets injured, yeah. Like straight away, your unnamed team, well, unchanged team gets a, a spanner thrown in the wheel. You know what I mean? Like, um, so as much as we we named that unchanged team, I, I think it then got thrown out the window pretty quickly. So, um, but I also think off the back of that, I think the South Africans changed their game plan a little bit um, from how they played in Adelaide. In Adelaide was their, I think, their more traditional kick chase, contest the breakdown of the kick receipt type of play. But with, um, I think, Willemser at 10, um, the new nine, so Faf wasn't playing. The new nine doesn't have as good a kicking game as Faf. So they actually played a lot quicker out of the breakdown than they usually have. Like, I, if I look at the, the ruck speed, I guess, stats in front of me, their ruck speed was at least half a second quicker than ours. So if you compare that to the previous week, I reckon the South African ruck speed was most probably a second slower than ours. So were we ready for them to change a game plan and and, and were we good enough to adapt is, is most probably one of the questions they need to ask themselves. 
I mean, that's always, that's always been a problem of the Australian team as well in the past. Like, there was, was the classic checker, you know, plan A was give it to Izzy and plan B was C plan A. Like, <laughs> and Rennie's, Rennie's generally been pretty good at, like, you know, thinking of stuff on the on the go and going through. But I think it's just one of those things. When you're getting when getting beat that badly in the forwards, and I think that I think Rennie nods it after the game as well, it's just, it's too, it's hard to get any plan going. And, yeah, as you, as you said, Coops, like, you know, you talk about that spine, you know, when... Noah goes down, Reese Hodge is the guy that comes into to 10. So instantly there goes your 10 and 15. You then throw, you know, your 12 goes out. You then have to throw Jake Gordon on the wing. Like that's that's never gonna work. That is kind of I think they said he's only like sure, you plan for this sort of stuff, but you don't want to be doing this in a t- an actual test environment. Like it just it threw everything out, and by the time you know when we've seen in the past where the Wallabies have mounted second half comebacks or you know try to try to get themselves back into a game, they just they look disjointed, and it's ultimately what cost me in the end. In the end, it's a you know you can take it's like a kind of a boxing analogy. You can take so, so, so many hits, but in the end, if you're hobbling uh, or hopping and you're and you're only on one foot, uh, you can only go so far. Um, so the question is, and before we, we we kind of dive into our into our second point of discussion, um, and, and Nathan, I know that you were at the the post press conference after the after the game. If you're Dave Rennie, um, and we'll, we'll obviously d- touch on this a little bit later when we talk Bledisloe preview, what's the key challenges in front of you uh, with the squad right now? Outside of the obvious of, of consistency, it's just. It's fine. I think it's finding more impact players. It's you're getting you're getting good go forward from a Valentini, and that's really you're not getting that same kind of lift from the other forwards. I believe, like you know, Taniel Tupa is probably your best example of that. You know, he's was typified. He typifies that you know explosive front row that can change a game, and he's gotten to a stage where he's looked subpar. For, in, I think that was in Dave Rennie's own kind of. He didn't say that directly, but he kind of admitted that he needs to see a different monster out of Tupo. He he gets injured and doesn't even come on. But you're not getting a similar. You weren't getting that similar kind of go forward that you got in Adelaide from you know that type five. You know a Jed Holloway type character. It's just you. It really just seemed like you know. And Sammy Karevi often masked a lot of that as well at twelve because you could just hand him a ball and he would get over the advantage lines. You know, eight times out of ten. But it's just it feel like you're just missing those characters to really kind of step up. And I think that's that would be your main message coming out into New Zealand is trying to get those guys really going. So is it a case of just uh, because we've lost so many boys to injury, it's a, sh- a case of short-term pain for, for long-term gain? Because, you know, the, the potential ramifications is that should the boys start to stand up, and you know, at least you know, pull off with, a, with at least a one win in this Bledisloe series, and then have a, a successful tour uh, of Europe come the end of the year. Is it a case of you know that your second and third choices are now suddenly uh, that you know that they can fire, and they've actually had that game time, so that when the likes of Karevi and Cooper hopefully are back in time for the World Cup, it's a it's a it, it addresses that depth problem that we've had for several years. I, I think. I think being able to test your depth now is is positive, um, albeit frustrating. But you don't want to get to a World Cup and have to run blokes out that haven't played a lot of football in the previous 12, 18 months. So um, I think there's a silver lining. Um, 
but obviously in, in the lead up to a World Cup, you want to find some kind of consistency with key players and, and, and things like that. But like being able to throw Jake Gordon on the wing and know that he will do an okay job there and you, you've actually tested that now is better than potentially in a playoff match in, in France in 12 months' time, you know? So, um, yeah, there's always a, you can always find a positive out of anything, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I mean, best best example of that. I mean, if you want to look at people, you know, we're crying foul when we go down to eighth in the rankings. But I mean, you look at South Africa in 2018, like they were seventh. Yeah. Come out, come out, beat All Blacks in Wellington, and all of a sudden they credit that game for, you know, launching their next 12 months into a World Cup. Like it's teams have shown that you know if you can, it's still this time particularly, you know, leading into a spring tour in the last couple of games of rugby championship can launch. Your next year's platform absolutely so there's still plenty of still plenty of time to as you said get those combinations down test that depth and really start to build that momentum before you have to be properly firing in france absolutely and i think that's a, a good point for us to move on because i know that if mr hartman were he, was here he'd be saying ah the wallabies were been juiced let's not talk about it um but on the subject of kind of the last couple of uh, of weeks, one discussion that has kind of come out of out of these matches has been the discussion of of the referee calls. Uh, when the uh, when the when the Springboks went down in in Adelaide, Springbok Saffa Twitter was ablaze uh, with 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 people uh, demanding that the Marika Korobetti tackle uh, was a was illegal, should have been sent off, end of the uh, should have changed the game, should have been a penalty try. Uh, as well as all the other calls. And then, likewise, this week, uh, you know, there's been talk about Ben O'Keefe's performance um, with his calls around the ruck and everything. Ref bashing always happens. This is the the fact. This is, it's the fact of life. Um, I'm finally lucky that we now have a ref here to talk to us about it. Mate, <laughs> what's, uh, what's talking about the... What's going on here with the laws and the discussion? Because it seems increasingly, obviously, the key fundamental goal here is the ref wants to make the game as safe as possible for all parties concerned. And world rugby is of course, trying to make the rules as stringent as possible to ensure player safety. So what's going on here? Um, mate, I think there's, I think there's two things, right? Is um, people want to see a game of rugby, right? But they also want us to be accurate in everything we do. And ultimately it's our, it's our job to be able to, uh, create a game, saying that players create the game, we just deliver on the actions of of said players. Um, so we try and I guess let the game go if 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 we use that term. But with the scrutiny, especially at this level, is everyone then still expects us to get everything right, and every decision now can be scrutinised. It can be slowed down. People on their couch can press pause and rewind a hundred times and things like that. Um, so the, the, the scrutiny is always there. And um, funny enough, um, we get scrutinised from World Rugby. Um, there's, there's a pretty robust review process that sits behind what we do. And like with the number of decisions we, we make in a game, we will make mistakes, but we're, we're talking about 5% of all the decisions we make in a game on average are incorrect. And we make hundreds of them in a, in a football match. And um, 
some of those obviously are decisions we do make. So penalise, knock on, forward pass, whatever, versus the ones we don't make. And there's even more than that. So it's finding that balance, mate. We appreciate that there's a lot at stake at this level. Um, there's a lot of money involved. But it's, I guess it's that, what do people want to see? A very accurate and most probably high penalty count type of fixture versus a free-flowing, let a few things go, maybe a better spectacle, but, you know, it, it, it's really different. And, and some teams value the play or the style of rugby that's being played differently. And I think potentially on the weekend, and if you look at, well, if you look at the All Blacks Argentina game, which we'll get to, I think is like, like chalk and cheese <laughs> in, in, in the approaches and of both of teams and the match official in my mind. It's one of those things. It's funny how kind of a game can affect like interpretation as well, or how it flows. I mean, I think some of the criticism from that that game on Saturday um, was how that kind of attacking ruck was kind of was adjudicated a couple of penalties, more penalties than you usually see from the attacking team coming out. I was just wondering, you know, you talked about that ruck speed before. Is that that kind of influence how you know maybe a ref is seeing that area or looking to try and police it? Is it something that might have been picked up maybe in a preview the week beforehand? What's the kind of what kind of motivate motives, not motives, but the kind of things you can see kind of that change in interpretation from, say, one test to the, to the next test on? Yeah. Um, I think, the, I think the, the thing that changes our approach is around the collision. So, like, if, if we look at Adelaide, for example, um, the Wallabies got good front football. They carried quite hard. They dented the line. And, therefore, attacking side entries and things like that don't become an issue because the ball carrier has actually gone through the line and therefore the, his, his support player can come in through the gate, over the ball and clean the, the player off it. Where I think on the weekend, I think the collision was, was probably a little bit more even and therefore you, you, you then bring in your support player. If, if I as a ball carrier don't get over the, the game line, well, my support player next to me to win the ball or, or secure the ball either has to go backwards to come through the gate or they have to come in from the side and clean someone off the ball. So the, the collision's the biggest part for us and the trigger. So when a team doesn't go through contact, our, our trigger then reverts back to support players coming in and where they're coming in from. Um, yeah. So, so talk us through that, actually, that on the subject of kind of having to review it a lot, where does the, the kind of, I want to ask you a little bit, poke you a little bit more about this point of contact, if I can, because I think it, it has been, you know, there, you know, some points of contact and some places what have, have kind of, people often, you know, talk about, did this player hit the right level here? Did this player do this particular thing here? What's the review process like, first of all, from your perspective obviously i'm assuming that you know a whole bunch of reps you guys all take the take the time constantly are reviewing the process constantly are reviewing the rules set out by world rugby um what's first of all for example if you have a situation where you look at a, at a call that might have either been interpreted after the fact as incorrectly or not what's the review process for you guys uh first and foremost what does that look like 
because um, obviously because there are some like for example there are some calls that people may look at and in the heat of the moment they'll already make their call and judgment on something and stick with it no matter what yeah um but so so we have we have the framework and 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 stuff that we have to sort of follow and and ultimately that's a that's a bible that we we stick by to try and get consistency in these types of decisions, especially in the collision. So the head contact process, as we refer to, um, where we've got to, I think 12 months ago, I think we were a little bit more stringent on, okay, it's head contact. Okay, we're, we're looking at quite a severe sanction here. But I think what we're actually getting um, a lot better at is identifying where the force is coming from, and then those mitigating factors that come with it. So 12 months ago, direct head contact, Wilmer's probably a yellow card, red card straight away, where now what we're, we're looking at a little bit more is, well, one, the defender's always in the spotlight and they, they ultimately need to bend their hips. If, if they can show us that they've made an attempt to lower their height by bending through their hips and their knees, they're saving themselves. As soon as they run into collision upright, they're in a world of hurt. Um, so if I use them as a, an upright defender and they come in and they bring momentum into the collision, so they actually come off the line and, and, and look to, to whack the, the ball carrier, they... And, and they're upright, if they make head contact, they're in a world of hurt because they brought force and they're always upright. If they come into that collision with force but dip their, um, dip their hips or, or get a little bit lower or things like that, we can then look to help them in a way. And so a defender upright, you're in a world of hurt, especially bringing force. If they're upright and they're actually stationary, we're now identifying that a lot better. So we, we talk about um, passive tackles. So actually the ball carrier bringing the force into the tackle. So um, where previously an upright defender makes head-on-head -head contact to the ball carrier running into them, we most probably would have gone, yeah, mate, it's a red card. It's a forceful contact, direct, direct contact to the head. Where now... If that defender is not bringing force, so they're passive, we most probably then now looking and going, okay, well, the danger has been lowered because they're not bringing the force into the collision. So therefore, we're going to go from red card to yellow card. Or if the force is even lower, we're then most probably at yellow card down to a, a penalty kick only type of scenario. So, um yeah, that's most probably where we're getting to. And, and I think we're making better, better decisions and, and less reactive decisions. Um, and it's most probably also, uh, if we bring it up, the, Mar the Marika tackle. Like, just because it's a big collision doesn't mean that we have to go and look for things wrong with it. I think we're getting more comfortable as a refereeing group to go, oh, that's just a, that's just a big collision. That's a rugby collision. And if we take those collisions away from the game, we lose a part of 
the rugby identity in a way. 100%. I'm just going to say, like, I love that way you know, you're there to help. I think a lot of fans, a lot of one eye fans very much have this this kind of this idea that oh it's you know they've got to go, they're going straight to laws like you know they're trying to certain refs might be you know out to get certain teams. It's like that's that's nowhere near close. Like I'm gonna say, do you think that kind of heading forward, as you said, you know, in these twelve months you've you know you've seen these kind of this process change and becoming more kind of receptors of those type of things. Do you see more kind of mitigating factors coming in, getting to a stage where it's just, it keeps evolving from that? Or do you think you're kind of at the, at a kind of good balance at this moment? Um, I, I think, and, and I won't talk for the whole group, but personally, I think we're, we're at a pretty good level in the le- 12 months, 18, eight months, whatever it is, 10 months leading into a world cup that I think, we're most probably over the last six month period, we've most probably been the most consistent we've been in that area. And ultimately, if we can maintain that into a World Cup, it's gonna be positive. Where we've seen in previous World Cups, I think maybe, was it 2011 or 2015, um, when they brought in the lifting tackle and we saw players having to adapt immediately in a World Cup type of setting around not lifting players off their their feet and driving them into the ground. And we see Wales get, Welsh captain get red carded in the first 15 minutes of a a playoff match and it it completely dictates the, the outcome of the game. Where I think now is that consistency, players are adapting and therefore are getting the collision right more often than not. And those big decisions, your red cards, are now becoming the and the, the oh shit moments, if I <laughs> use that, where everyone yeah. goes, oh shit, that's a red card, and we totally understand that. Like that bloke has been absolutely decapitated, and that's the collision that we want to take out of the game. And I think we're getting to that. And then... The other collisions that don't fit into that mould, I think we're, we're we're using our yellow cards and our penalty kicks a lot better. Mm. It's interesting you, you, we're talking on 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 mitigation factors as kind of being a key thing here because I know I know that you know so many people. That if you go onto the World Rugby website, I'll include a link in it. There is a clear guideline system in place which determines uh, there and mitigating factors, I think, has always been such an interesting one. And I, I, I find it particularly uh, reassuring that you're also mentioning kind of attacking players because a concern that I'd always had been worried about was that whenever, uh, you know, a, a ref had to penalise a player predominantly, it w- or it would be against the defending player when uh, the attacking player might have actually done something to make that situation a little bit more dangerous Um such as in the I thought like we it was it was a topic of discussion when we talked about the Jelonge tackle that Marika Corombete did uh, in the French in the third French test last year where Marika had clearly committed to the tackle there was nothing he could do about it and Jelonge kind of dropped it a little bit which made it which made the mitigation factor move up into the higher range of of uh, of kind of defense of of kind of of level of danger, even though both players still ended up being okay in the end. Um, do you do you think where is that kind of mitigation space going? And um, as kind of a what like a final 
point on this because some people have often been like, oh, there's got to be a common sense rule that comes in here. So if a pl- and I know you can use common sense in in so many contexts that it's and which makes it even harder to interpret. Um, so where where do you think that that like kind of last space of mitigation factors uh, kind of lies? Um, it's an interesting one because I think um, ultimately what it comes down to is allowing ourselves on field as long as the process might think it's taking. It's not a, a and some people might disagree with me here, but big decisions in games require us to take our time. And sometimes, and and I think previously, if I use the Corabetti tackle in the French series, um, I think if we analyse that a little bit slower on field, we then get to a point where the contact's actually not direct because if you if you look at where Corabetti makes contact, the French place head moves forward first. And if you make very few times if you make direct contact with the head or to the head, the head will actually move forward. It'll move backwards first. So allowing our, ourselves an extra 20 seconds, and that might seem like an eternity on field for us, but being comfortable in that situation to go, no, I'm going to watch this for an extra 20 seconds to make sure that contact's not direct or have I got all the mitigating factors? And we, we, we've we seen it in a, in a couple of series. We've seen it in the French um, All Black series a couple of years ago where the chaser gets a little bump from the French player who then, it then changes the contact in the air and things like that. If we take our time there, we get the right decision. So it's, it's that balance between quicking, making these decisions quicker as everyone wants to but at the end of the day, what are we going to get, um, I guess, pulled over the coals more about is most probably our accuracy. So do people want us to get it 100% correct or are they happy for us to speed up that area of the game and potentially get things wrong? So I guess there's a it's a, it's a bit of a thing. Back to your mitigation thing, um, I think we're in a pretty good space. I don't think there's... Other than reading people's minds, <laughs> um, I, don't think we, I don't think we can go anywhere else. We can actions of the ball carrier, actions of the defending player, actions of support players in tackles and things like that. Um, I think we're getting pretty right. Um, so I think if we if we maintain this and this approach, I think we're going to become a lot more consistent with our decision making, and and we can see that happening already. Mm, mm. And it's it's. I do think I do agree, and it is. I'm fully aware that you know you know you know, we're not going to get all the answers in one in one podcast, and it is good that I, I do agree that mitigation is definitely something that is going to be watched and worked on and improved on, and it is good as well that you know people often say, oh, the TMO invades too much, but it, it, you do raise a fantastic point that if you want to get the decisions right, you've got to look at you've, you've got to give yourself that time. Um, and that, of course, in terms of the actual product, there's a, a moment where you can say the TMO, uh, leave it, let's move on. Uh, and there's a moment where 
there's an actual safety issue that comes into play there because it's it's good that you talk about that because you know so many people of course in the TMO space as well they don't they often say oh the TMO is ruining the game as well and determining everything but it's 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 a lot more complicated than that yeah the check check sorry sorry I was gonna say the, the check check is the classic one that people throw up and people you know the, a play might be gone three or four phases down but and a TMO all of a sudden will bring it back I think it's Right, it's just half on that accuracy point. And yeah, I was just about to just completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and with the, the check check and, and the and the TMO referrals and things like that, is you, you you've seen a lot more in the last again in the last 12, 18 months of a referee seeing it once and going, Oh mate, I'm actually happy with that. Let's move on. So yeah. where where previously we might have gone down the path of or oh, our TMOs intervening here we need to sanction something. So the refereeing group has been, well, become a lot more comfortable with seeing something on t on the screen and then going, you know what, mate, I'm actually happy with that collision or that deliberate knock-on or whatever. Let's crack on with the game and, and keep going. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know I could honestly talk to you all, all night, but I know that we do have to have to move on. Um, it's it's just it's such an interesting space uh, space of our game to talk about, and uh, I do, honest to God, appreciate hearing it straight from the ref. Uh, you're the ref on the field, not us. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk the Bledisloe because uh, obviously we uh, the the other big result from the weekend uh, was uh, the nightmare at the Tron for Checkers Pumas who went down. 53-3 to three to the All Blacks, which I believe is the largest win the All Blacks have had over Argentina since 1997, um, which is unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> which are not a bad day at the office. So if the, if the Pumas are on the checker juice, then I think the All Blacks are now officially on Schmidt Soda. Um, yeah. Natho, uh, I'll, I'll throw it to you first before we dive into the Bledisloe. Is it dangerous for us to say that the All Blacks are back? Because we've already said this before once or twice this year, whenever they have kind of turned it around and produced a good performance. Or is that a, oh, no, they're back this time? Honestly, I don't know what to think anymore. Like as I said, we've been burned a couple of times with this thought of, okay, this is when the All Blacks are back. And all of a sudden they come out and put a bad performance together. Um, I think it was a much, much improved performance. Like they looked... As you said, the, the work of Joe Schmidt really seemed to show through here. You know, the attack looked a lot more, a lot more explosive. You know, it kind of, it really looked stagnant before, and it, it's like they finally unlocked everything that makes you know Richie Mwanga like one of the best playmakers in the world. You know, the Barretts, Bowden off the bench, Geordie coming on as well. Like, it's one of those things. They've they've got all the weapons in the world, and you know. All you have to do is unleash them and they can these guys can really kind of fire. You know, guys, monsters like Caleb Clark and, you know, an explosive Will Jordan are unstoppable on their days. It's I just it's that, that key word again, consistency. I just don't I just don't know what to think about them, you know. Is this all of a sudden them clicking together, or is this just another false dawn that's gonna give them confidence that hey, everything's all right and we don't need to make changes? Like it's I, honestly I, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, it's a, it is a, it's, it is a strange one. It was, but it did definitely seem very all black like, much more than they had been previously. Um, Graham, I mean, what are your thoughts on this game? It was a, I, I, it's fair to say I, um, that 
in terms of, of the actual game, in terms of not just the points on the board, but in every capacity of the match, uh, it seemed like one-way traffic. Dominance in the, in the field position, dominance in, in, uh, in set piece. Um, it, was a, it was clear that the, the boys were pissed. Uh, yeah. uh, the the boys in black were pissed. It's what, how do you feel? Did, how did it compare to to other All Blacks matches that you've seen this year? Uh, mate, uh, again, like a, a thing that dictates um, a, a huge part of the game is that collision area. And if you look at the Argentinians on the week before, their defense was next level. Like most probably one of the best defensive efforts I've seen from an international team for a for a while and they stopped momentum of the All Blacks. And this week, though, their big ball carriers actually got them over the, the advantage line. And mate, when you have Richie and, and Jordan and, and Caleb Clark running onto front football, they're a different beast, right? Um, I, Artie, again, was most probably one of their standouts last week, but mate, he, he was on fire again. Um, their back row most probably had a little bit more of an impact this week um, than previous weeks, I thought. Um, so, mate, their, their set piece, their line out to more looks like it's, it's, it's clicking a lot better and a little bit more consistent. Um, mate, I, yeah, I think it's just a, a, an awareness that they are inconsistent at the moment, but you don't want to get them on their day because I think any team in the world still struggles to to win that game if the All Blacks play the way they did. Mm. Is it also a case, Nathan, and I'll, I'll throw this one to you, um, but or, or, to, or to both if you thought, do we think Argentina were also a little off just trying to replicate the efforts of the previous week before um, as well? Because, I mean, they're obviously still high on uh, on on the influence of Checker uh, kind of running through that Wall's uh, motivation that he really inspires in teams during his early runs. Um, there, it, it, part of me also felt that not only were they nullified when it was clear that, that the All Blacks had either done their homework on them, they just didn't know what to do. I mean, it's, that's also, as I said, that's a classic checker problem as well. Is in the past, is he's got to problem, you know, had plan A, and when A didn't work, it's just gone out the window. I think, I think there's a little bit to that as well. Like it was always going to be hard to back up. Like we got to got to remember, you know, you, you arc back to the. Um, the win they had at um, Bankwest or Combank, whatever it was called back in the day, like they they struggled to back that one up as well because you know it was an emotional, it's an emotional scenes. Like you, that game in New Zealand was their first win over New Zealand ever in New Zealand. Like it was always going to be tough to back that up, and realistically, I think that had a little bit to do with it. But it's it's just one of those things, you know. I think it was, I think it was more just the All Blacks just being on song and just being the absolute killers that they are on their top day. You're absolutely right, uh, and it definitely doesn't uh, bode well if they're going to continue to produce performances like that. Just in time for the blood is low. Um, was we were quietly all hoping, hey, keep keep up this inconsistent performance, this in- inconsistent form. We might have a we might have a chance to win it back. But hey, it, the series hasn't still still hasn't been played yet. The the squad has just been announced. Uh, it got announced uh, a few hours ago um, at the time of recording. Um, and there's some big, big inclusions uh, back into this into this side uh, for the Wallabies, and it's it's interesting that we talk about impact players 
um, because we definitely are seeing that there are several players uh, that are that really kind of are that probably that impact uh, or X factor player that they're looking for. And I think the most notable inclusions are the likes of Kurtley Beal uh, and Caden Neville as a, as as two major examples. Uh, Graham, have you had a look at this squad? Uh, mate, I'm actually just got it up in front of me for the first time. So. Um... <laughs> Yes, classic organisation. We're seeing it. Yeah, yeah. Well. I love it. Um, <laughs> Drop kick off. Way. Yeah, I, love I, think, it. <laughs> I think, mate, I think the Kirtley one, an interesting one. Um, where are they going to play him? Is is my biggest my biggest question. I'm, I'm assuming he's in the squad as a potential fullback cover, but. I think Reese Hodge has done a pretty good job in that space over the last two weeks. He was probably one of our better, again, under the high ball and things like that on the weekend. Um, he played his role even though he stepped in at 10. Um, or is he coming in as a potential number 10 cover is mm. another question. So it's a it's an interesting one. I haven't seen him play a lot of footy recently, so I, I don't really know where he's at. Um, who was the, the last one you mentioned? Uh, Caden Neville, who so the uh, the Brumbies, yeah. So he comes in because um, Arnold goes back to France. Um, so Arnold, I think, has left. So I think that's just a a pretty straightforward replacement. But I don't I don't mind Caden. I think when he played earlier in the year in the English England series, he I think he played his role and did his his role quite well. Um, you know, you know who I want to see have a, a, a genuine crack is, and I and I was over in the the islands, um, in the Aussie A is Langy Gleeson. If we want a yeah. bloke that wants to run over the top of people and put big shots on and and win that collision, um, he plays a very similar game to, um, oh now I've forgotten his name, um, Valentini. Valentini. So. If, if you can find a spot for both of them, um, it, it'll be a pretty handy back row. But I, th I think Jed's also playing a pretty handy role in that back row um, as well. So it's interesting you bring up, you know, the Kirtley and, and Hodge, where you think he's going to play up. I actually think Kirtley might be fullback cover with Reese being fly-off cover. When you consider no one might miss the splatter's low test, with a, I think he's still dealing with concussion. It's like, who do you, do you bring in Bernard Foley or son for a Bledisloe test? Like, it's a tough, it's a tough gig to just come straight back into a Wallaby side, straight into a Bledisloe. So, you know, thinking about it, is is this kind of their sign that Hodge might be that second guy, the, the next man up in terms of ten, and then Kirtley comes back to fifteen, where you know he played against England and and Wales. He's played a lot of there for Racing before you. Absolutely tore his hamstring to shreds. Apparently, like it's it's one of those things. It's going to be interesting. It's it's so much versatility around this squad that you kind of there's almost too many options to, to pick from, and not. But the problem is you don't really have that number one. Out oh, when you oh sorry you have the number one, but you don't have that number two that can kind of slot back in just in case there is an issue. Yeah, I I, I also I also genuinely think like from this. Super Rugby season, and um, is is that if you're bringing Kirtley Beal into the squad as a 15s cover, like what's that saying to a Jock Campbell who's who's putting in a mountain of work around 
Aussie rugby and is actually most probably our best 15 um, in Super Rugby for a number of years, or most consistent 15 in Super Rugby. Um, I love the way he plays. Um, and, yeah, so it's a, it's, it's an interesting – where does that see him? Where do, the, do you see the two young fly halves at the Waratahs, Donaldson and um, – I'm terrible with names. Um, uh, Donaldson Ed and Tate, Ed, Ed Med. There's also Will yeah. Harrison as well, who's so, – who's, yeah. So we're, we're talking when we when we look at the number tens, we've actually got a we've got depth. It's just most probably experience is is what we're lacking, and and whether they need experience over, I guess raw talent is is what they they're looking at. I think it also comes down to like I think increasingly just in in terms of game plan and game style, um, you. I've often found that increasingly finding there is a time to for to pick a, a particular player and then there's a time to 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 try someone else. I often think from from my own experience watching Kurtley, he's a very lateral player. He can produce that X factor moment um, and can make him and he can be incredibly unpredictable for defensive teams. But likewise, that also can mean he can sometimes be incredibly unpredictable for his own team as well. Um, and can get isolated. And in some instances, I think in, when you've gone up against, well, I want to say the traditional, you know, Northern Hemisphere teams of the past, you play a, a certain style of game, that works really well. Um, but throwing him into the role of a, of a 10 against the All Blacks, who are probably going to capitalise on something like that, might not be necessarily be the right the right choice and selection and go-to approach. Um, you are absolutely right in terms of the kind of experience at that fly-half position. Um, it's, it is such a, it, it is kind of a, if you are going to go in that, I, I honestly don't know who to pick in terms of your starting, your starting 10. And, uh, I have, uh, I feel sorry for, for Rennie and the selection staff about who they're going to, they're going to go with, because if you don't, if you don't get this right, that's Leslie gone for another year. Um, and additionally it's the, with it, with it being your home game in Melbourne, um, there is, despite the, the result against, uh, Argentina, uh, there is no denying that this is a fantastic opportunity um, to to exploit some of the errors that that all the cracks that are starting to appear in this all black side and making sure that you can uh, figure out and sort that out. What is good about Rennie is that he does have that analysis background. He similar to what he did with the Springboks last year, he figured out the problems that they had, and then he, he figured out all the fail saves that they had, for example, with their defence. And basically, just found a way to to exploit those fail safes until they just naturally gave way. So I'm hoping that he looks at that, uh, and and of course, and he has shown as well that he has uh, an ability to really t- uh, challenge the All Blacks. Even though last year we went down in three Test matches to them, um, he scored. Tr- there was a lot of tries scored. There was a lot of uh, you know uh, ent- enterprising gameplay from the Wallabies. I don't know who's going to make this squad. Um, what this first squad is going to look like, but it is interesting. Have the Nathan, have they have the All Blacks named their squad yet, or are we still waiting? No, the All Blacks have named their squad. Um, the Let's pretty settled squad. About to say the the interesting thing about it, and then Coop's touched on before. Um, Artie Savia missing from Melbourne. That's gonna, yeah. that's a big loss. Cool. So he's staying back for the birth of his child. So that's him not being there. I think is going gonna, gonna to be a massive, massive hole for them to fill. So you know, yeah. Luke Jacobson comes back into the side, and he, he's a handy player. But when you when you look for that dominant kind of ball runner, you look for that guy who's really going to 
break open a game, he's been their go-to guy. Like it's he's been so critical for him. And you know, when you consider, you know, Shannon Frizzell was also out after getting picking up a rib, rib injury. Like they're they're two big losses. So I mean, as you said, I think I think I agree with you. Like it's if there's a time to try and knock off the All Blacks with maybe. I don't don't want to say it's too loud because it feels weird. Maybe a false sense of security. <laughs> like this might this realistically might be it in Melbourne. And then, you know, you then take it to Eden Park and it's all of a sudden winner takes all. You mm. embrace that moment, embrace that, hey, if you lose, what are you essentially back to square one? But if you win, you all of a sudden could start a legacy that can continue for years to come. Like it's I think this game is probably the most crucial one we've had this year. I love for those a number of years. I love those rose-colored glasses, my man. It makes me makes me very happy. I'm definitely definitely not saying this. Definitely not saying this because if we win, I go to Auckland. Like, definitely not saying this. <laughs> just I'm just trying to manifest this. Just mentioning it. Um. So let's uh let's do a quick preview before we do- we jump over to the sevens and the Wallaroos to to, to finish us off. Um. So the uh, the next round will be going on. Of course, we've got uh, not just the All Blacks and the Wallabies kicking off in Melbourne. But also South Africa and Argentina. Let's do it. Let's do some quick five predictions uh, for the next for the penultimate round of the rugby championship. Uh, Coops, you first. What are your, th- what are your thoughts? Um, I South Africa Argentina. I think um, it'll be hard to stop the South Africans after finding a, a bit of a groove against us um, on the weekend. I, I think what they've unlocked is an understanding that these younger and when we use inexperienced players actually played their role and played a, a really like influential role in, in that game against us on the weekend. So a couple of new back rowers, their new winger looks electric. I don't know where they keep finding them. It's a bit unfair. Um, and then I think Willemser at 10 completely changes the dynamics of that back line and, and, and looks a little bit more attacking than um, just a, a kick chase type of, environment so i think the argentinians will, will struggle to beat them moving forward oh controversial yeah, yeah. i know oh. i tend to agree I, i'm i'm tending to lean towards the side of this springbok side could probably go and roll here like argentina it it all depends how argentina reacts like it's one of those things they're so they are, are just so inconsistent when it comes to this. And, you know, when you, the thing that's going to help them is this first game, I believe, is in Argentina. It's in, yeah, in Buenos Aires. So, you know, that return home, they showed what they could do against Scotland. But, God, it's, if, they, if that same South African team that rolled up and Sydney rocks up in Buenos Aires, it's going to be a long day, I reckon. Look, I do get a part of me, and this is just me being stupid here, but part of me is it would, would think it would be nice if Argentina win this game and then the South Africans do what they do in South Africa and, and steamroll them because that way, and because if, if the Wallabies can somehow get a win, then everyone has beaten everyone and lost to everyone or whatever it may be at the end result because it's, it's such a strange situation that we sit with right now with the rugby championship that everyone has beaten someone and everyone has beaten everyone and lost to everyone at the same time. Um, but look, I do agree with you all. The realist in me thinks that uh, you know South Africa on on a good day are just another level. They absolutely are. And even though it's clear that you know Argentina can really get up and stand up uh, in you know in this competition, uh, especially when when they've had the rockets fired up them, uh, it's going to be it's 
who knows if that te- if if that sort of side turns up. I completely agree with you both. Um, let's talk. Uh, let's talk Wallabies, All Blacks. Obviously, of course, we have not got a squad here, so we're only going on. Uh, we're, sorry, we haven't got a starting fifteen t- side. Rather, we're just going on the extended squad and when what's in front of us. Um, instead of we'll, we'll do a prediction, we'll also do where do we think this game could potentially be won and lost in terms of we've got because we have do have a kind of sense of of who will be picked based on previous squads that have kind of been picked. Nathan, I'll throw to you first for this one. Who do we think is going to win? Where do we think the game is going to be won and lost? Ah, oh, God, head or heart, head or heart. Ah, oh, no, I'll say I'll say All Blacks. I'll say All Blacks win. Um, even though I'm very, I feel like this is our best chance to, to get them in a long time. I think that start is always going to be key. I think we've seen what happens when the world start well and, you know, really get them, get themselves some scoreboard pressure and can, they can, they can control a game from then. And if you do so, you bring the crowd into it. You kind of, you settle down that those playmakers and, you know, particularly if like Noah Lesio plays who hasn't had the best run of form against New Zealand, you, you kind of sell these game down. If you can, Start through that first 20 minutes. That I think that's if they don't come out firing, then the All Blacks could run away with it. But I think that's the kind of that's gonna be the key period for me to see if this Wallabies team can really get this upset. I'm still saying All Blacks by All Blacks by five, I reckon. Graham, disagree. Um, I'll, I won't give a score prediction just yet, but um, I think this, and I'm, I'll use a couple of I guess matchups. I think. Our hooker matchup on who we who we pick at hooker, um, because I think the All Blacks will go with Tokiaho. I think he's been playing really well, and and he's actually been pretty dynamic carrying the ball and and, and gets him a lot of front football. And I, I think we get the same when a Falau turns up and, and and plays like that, and and ultimately I think um, how they're. Th- on, on their day, their throws can be really good, accurate and really good, both of them. But on a on a poor day, uh, they can be they can be pretty average as well. So I think line out and the way those two players um, get around the field and, and what impact they have. And then I can't wait for the Lenny Kitao Yuani thirteen oh. battle. To be honest, um, <laughs> I I. 12, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, I didn't, like, I'll be honest, I, I, I didn't really rate Len as a 13. I, I was like, why are we picking this bloke? But I'll nearly now, like, I've eaten, I'll eat my hat. Um, he's most probably one of the blokes that I'll pick first. And I wouldn't be surprised if Dave Rennie does, like, has that same mentality. I think he's, his ability to win contact, he's, his lateral defence and speed, he, is something we haven't had in that position for years. So, like, and then, mate, Yuani on the weekend, you see what he can do uh, um, to the Argentinians. So I think that little battle there is important and that hooker spot. I think back rows will nullify each other without Artie there. I think we're on par with them. Um, so, and then just who we pick at 10, I think. Is yeah, a, is that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that was the one that was the one I was waiting for because I was I com- was completely agreeing with you. For me, it's it's that set piece battle, that forward battle, uh, and who the hell goes it to ten? That's the key yeah. thing right here because on paper, at least, I think the squads match up quite well. There's quite 
a lot of, of talent across both sides. There's also just a lot of fantastic opportunity. Um, but, yeah, that 10 position for the Wallabies is critical. You've got to you gotta hope Noah's fit. You can pass in, that concussion test in time. Yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult. So, well, then, if that's the case, if Noah doesn't pass, let's let's go. Let's let's ask the difficult question then. Then, who do you pick? Probably Hodge. Would you go Hodge? Uh... I don't know, because I mean, look, he's great. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I mean, how often, how much has he played at the ten role this year? I mean, yes, of course, there was the game in Argentina, which he he played extremely well. Um, Nathan, I know, I know that whenever I, whenever I throw this out here, you, you pull me up and go, oh no, wait, this particular game in this particular uh, point, this actually, is he played 10. Actually in round seven, he played, no, um, I, I don't think he actually <laughs> has played, played 10s yet. The kind of, the reasoning behind that is if you bring the, uh, you look at the other options, it's Bernard Foley who hasn't played in a world we set up in about three or four years, or it's Curtly who hasn't played 10 in so long. And I think to Coops' point earlier is... If you bring him in at 10, I, I'm comfortable – oh, not comfortable. I would – I'd be confident enough to to say right now that I reckon Jock Campbell would probably come in. Either come into 15 or you bring – you push Tom Wright back there and bring in a Kelway to a starting side. And I think if you look for consistency and you look for that a bit more continuity, Hodge is probably your next best option at 10, just, just more for the fact that I reckon you can cover that better. You can cover the – what he leaves, or that that back three position that he might leave better than, I think that's a kind of a better, lesser of two evils than brings a guy in who's just been around a training camp for about a month. Here's a question for you, fellas. When are we bringing Vunavalu into our squad and giving him some <sighs> consistent time to be able to get him ready for a World Cup in 12 months? Tell you know? me about it. That's I'm going to say, I, I, had to be, I had him on the bench for Sydney. I, in, I think the problem that Vunavalu faces is, it's when you look at that back three, Corbetti Cor- picks himself. Yeah. You then look at the other wing and go, well, Andrew Kelway last year was arguably one of our best, was easily probably a top five player for the Wallabies. So when he's fit, does he he probably slots back into that. Fullback up in the air, but, he, you know, Vinavalu hasn't played much fullback. And then you look at that bench spot, that bench spot and you go, well, are, are you going to carry a specialist winger on there? How much... Can, are you, and you know, with the versatility we have, you probably can get away with it. But that's yeah. Rennie is so is very much a I, I need multiple people covering multiple positions. So it's I I agree he needs to get more time. But it's just it's a case of where and who who do you leave out? I I, I guess do you, if if we look at the squad, do you pick a Beal on the bench or a Vunavalu on the bench? Oh, that's a good question. At twenty three, that is a really good question. Or a Campbell. Okay, so well, in terms of sheer versatility, so if you were to go with sheer versatility, probably Campbell. Yeah, I would go. Um, athletic ability. I mean, that's where Vunavalu starts to to ask the question. But you are absolutely right. He's a specialist winger. He hasn't played at fullback, whereas Campbell has shown mileage in in multiple positions. And not only that, has showed it with a lot of distinction. So there is the, and I think he's much closer to being in that regular starting role than uh, than Vunavalu is. Um, you're absolutely right, though, because I mean we've been talking about this for a while. I mean, what does the dude need to do to to get some 
some game time. Um, it's the right problem to have, I suppose, in the in the greater scheme of things, because you've got such competition in that back three position in those back three positions. But yeah, where to put him? <laughs> um, let's talk on the let's let's move to the final points of topic for for the podcast. Uh, well, uh, but and let's talk sevens and uh, and the Wallaroos, and we'll touch on the Wallaroos first. Uh, of course, the Wallaroos uh, did their last match of preparation for the World Cup. Uh, going down in a pretty close match uh, to the Black Ferns in South um, in uh, in South Australia, fourteen twenty two was the score, I believe, off the top of my head. Thank you very much. <laughs> Had a brief moment of guessing myself there, um, but a much a much more spirited and a much stronger performance, I think, especially defensively, uh, compared to the week before, where they just got they just got blown off the park. Um, and prob- I think that's also historically the closest match that the two sides have had as well, which is a, a good indication that, you know, that the girls are, are on their way and, and moving. Natho, despite the, I think, this improved performance, I think it has been a, you know, a mixed period, of, uh, you know, batch of games for the Wallaroos. They did get the first, they picked up their first win of the year against Fiji. But since then, it's been a lot of, a lot of, a lot of L's. Are we, should we, should we be, uh, how do how do we sit with where the Wallaroos are going going into this into this World Cup? Look, I think there's been improvements there. I think there's you know there is, while the results haven't been there, they've been competitive in mo- I think every game bar that Christchurch one. And I think that f- the fitness has been an improvement going through, which I think was missing particularly in Pack Four. You know, set pace remains to work on, but it's something you can kind of you can get going. What I'm excited about, which I think they were missing as well, is they were missing that attacking threat outside of um, Georgia Fredericks. When she she took the ball up in Adelaide, she looked dominant at 13. I think they've now found that in um, Bian Torito on the wing. Bring, having They've just named the World Cup squad as well in the last couple of days. Maya Stewart comes back into that squad, is back to full fitness now. So she, she potentially slots onto a wing. Uh, big one being Shani Williams coming back to the 15s side. You know, she played the last World Cup at 12 and in a position that just looks like it's still pretty much up in the grabs. She can slot in at 12 there. And all of a sudden, it looks like a really dangerous back line. Like, you you have Tereda on the Tereda Stewart and um, Pauline Russ and Barley on the, as, as your back three. You know, Williams and Fredericks in the centres. And Arabella McKenzie has a, such an underrated kicking game by a lot of the general public. Like, and Ily Badawasanga of Scrum Half. Like, that's a dangerous back line all of a sudden. And when you have – you combine that with a competitive back row with, you know, Grace Hamilton and Grace Kemp pushing each other, a pretty settled second row, and the the potential for a front row, you know, Liz Pardew and an Eva Kapani, you can break a game open when fit. Like, it's a dangerous side. And in a format where, let's face it, all you have to do is – New Zealand, you're probably not getting past, given, you know, recent form – but if they can get a win over Scotland Wales, that puts you in a quarter, probably puts you in a quarter final. And from there, all you need is, is results to go your way and a couple of good performances, and you find yourself in a decent position. So I think it's, I think it's still an optimistic position to be in. It's look, I, I do agree. I do, th- I think when you are playing, you know, against some of the stronger uh, women's sides in the in you know back to back to back with USA and Canada. Um, of course, that that Japanese the, the the result against Japan was far from ideal. Um, but I think it also goes to credit of of how strong and how much that Japanese side has progressed 
um, since the the series that they had a few years ago where they came out here in Australia, you know, just kicked them kicked them all over the place. Um, Graham, have you had the chance to to check out this Wallaroo side? What are your thoughts on their on their progression leading up to uh, this World Cup? I, I think, yeah, I, I think they're progressing well. Um, I, having having refed at the last Women's World Cup, um, and 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 knowing a couple of the other teams and how they play, I just don't think we play quick enough. Um, yeah, and, I agree. And, and it's it comes back to what Nate said around their, their fitness. Obviously, their fitness from Pack Four to to Adelaide is has been huge. Um, but when you look at the likes of your England and your France, who you could, if then if those two teams aren't in the final, I'll eat my hat again. Um, like they they play just as quick as the men do. Um, they do. So their their ruck speed, the way that they pass the ball, their skill level, um, and it is is up there. And I just don't think we'll be able to keep up with the likes of those those teams. And and even and I'll, and I'll put it out there. I don't think the All Blacks or Black Ferns, sorry, um, are at that level. And they won the last one. So I don't think they're at a, a level of their 2017 performance in, in Ireland either. So I think they'll be competitive. If they make a, a playoff game, I think it's a win for, for, for where they're at and a, a really good springboard into the, the next um, World Cup cycle for them. Um, that's, that's my, my take on it. Um, I think seeing like Shani come back into the squad, I think is is really good. And we're not going to compete with England and France until we get those seven girls coming into our our 15s program and being full time athletes across both formats. Because mm -hmm. the French and England have have all their girls playing multiple formats in a professional. And in a professional capacity as well. Yeah, it makes them full-time athletes for 12 months of the year. So, um, yeah, that's that's my comment. But that's a that's another story. Absolutely, it's, I, I do agree. It's, and it is good that we're touching on Sha on the likes of, of Shani coming back in. I think this has often been a a key a key thing a key factor for for kind of giving the Wallaroo some go forward. Um, and you know, I know that there has been some talk of the of more of the girls getting into the 15 format uh, style of the game, and I reckon that's going to make a huge difference. Um, on that regards, so let's let's finish the, like this talk quick talking on the Wallaroos on the World Cup rather as a preview with with two final questions. I'll throw it out to both of you. Um, completely in agreement with you, Graham, that uh, that probably the English the English are probably going to be favourites for this one. Um, I think they're the best rugby team in the world right now just in terms of how they're playing, how they're performing, consistency, speed. Um, they they look like, you know, the most dominant all-black side you could imagine and then some. Just I don't see anyone beating them at the moment. Um, who are our predictions for to win it? Why is it England? Um, and <laughs> But also, more to the point, where do we think the Wallabies are going to finish? I mean, I think, yeah, England just, as you said, look too good. I'm, I think it might be England-New Zealand final out of all of it. 
like I think you know France dusted them up a couple of times in on I think it was on French soil last year, but I think that home crowd can do a bit of a difference to them. Like they got a couple more sevens players getting back into fifteen asides. Um, and I think you know with um, Kendrick Kendrick Kotsak retiring as well at the end of the year, that's that kind of big motivating factor to get them home. I still think England will be too good. Um, as for Wallaroos, I think they I think. You, you fancy their chances to knock off at least the Scotland or Wales, the two two who are comparatively weaker sides in the Six Nations. And when you consider you get through, I think it's best two and your two best third place finishes. I think there's a chance for them to scrape into a quarterfinal. I'm just, I I feel like yeah, I feel like they will run into an England or a France in a quarterfinal, and it's just all of a sudden going to be, it could be a big score if they're not in their game. So I think I think quarterfinals got to be. I think quarterfinals is you're happy with quarterfinals, as you're saying. I think that's that's got to be the goal, and that's probably that's my prediction of where they're going to finish as well. Yeah, mate, I I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, interesting. Scotland women went full time at the beginning of the year, and and whether that impacts them, um, especially in our pool. Um, I think our girls are definitely good enough to to knock off Wales. Um, I think Wales is most probably the the nearly the weakest Six Nations team out of the Northern Hemisphere fear group. Um, so we'll definitely expect to beat them and that playoff against Scotland's key key for us um, moving into the next round. Um, I I still think it's going to be a if it can happen. I don't even know from which sides of the draw they're in, but um, I would love to see in England France. Women's World Cup final. I think it'll actually showcase what women's rugby is all about. Amen to that. A bloody men to that. Um, we'll finish off with sevens. Natho, let's uh, let's talk about uh, all of the stuff that has been going on in sevens because God, there's been a lot. Um, Man, we got a, we got a World Cup this weekend. Like it's exactly <laughs> crazy. Have we touched on the fact that we now own both the women's and the men's titles? Have we done? Have we talked about that in a podcast yet, or did, or did I miss something? <laughs> I think we touched on it briefly last week, but I mean, we might have missed it. But I'm not sure. But it's it's incredible time for the sevens programs. Like, and fair play, we entered this World Cup as both sides of the defending World Series champions. The women have a chance to do what they're calling the triple crown, which is Com Games, seven, Sevens World Series, and a World Cup. Like it's it's a real exciting time for both programs, and you know, it's it's one of those things. You get to a getting to a World Cup. They're both got pretty. Like women's are arguably better draw than the men, but they've both got really decent chances of coming away with more silverware, in my opinion. Yeah, the confidence is high. It's looking it's looking solid. Even uh, I reckon the both sides have really shown up the big competitors or the big other heavy hitters like you know the men's with this with the South African team and the and the Fijian boys and and the and the and the All Blacks guys as well and the women's team as well with the All Blacks and everyone you know, equivalent as well. Graham, will we see you refing a sevens game? Will you be there running around just as much? <laughs> no, I, I I can't say I'm a sevens referee by any imagination. I gave it a crack. Um, not quick enough, most probably. Um, no, I think, I think it's, you know what, like I am the first one to say that at, at some points in time that I haven't really paid any attention to the sevens program, especially the men's. 
But funny enough, the last couple of um, World Series legs, I've actually tuned in to watch our men's team play. Um, I think they've got a really, well, they've got a refreshed squad is is most probably the best way to put it. I, um, I love their balance between sheer speed and actually guys that can use, like use the ball well. I think that they're, they're using, funny enough, their kicking game better than they have done in previous years, where if you, like I think in the in the past, your, your South African teams have used their kicking game in sevens to their advantage. We're actually cottoning on that we can do that too. Um, so I'm actually, I'll tune in and watch this weekend. Um, and it's all off the back of our men's sevens team. No disrespect to the women's. It's sometimes a little boring seeing them win everything. Again, <laughs> um, a rare I problem in Australian rugby. Awesome. Um, I just moving into next year. I've I've seen some of the boys getting signed with Super Rugby franchises. So it's it's whether or not we can then maintain that consistency um, in that squad with those guys leaving, but. Or are they allowed to come back and play um, outside of their Super Rugby squad, like a Marky Mark and 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 like your Billy Meeks, for example, who's in this weekend squad from LA? Like, can we pull guys in and 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 do that more frequently and and still get the results? But mm-hmm. I mean, I'll I'll watch for sure. And plus, knockout format as well. It's always always throws up one or two of those real shock results that you just kind of. I mean, I think I think four years ago, the last, I don't know the last World Cup, we got knocked out round of sixteen. The men, so like there's going to be that. It's, I think it's going to be that sort of aspect of one to fire and not be that team that all of a sudden everyone goes, oh, geez, they got beat, they got they're already out. Like yeah. women, I mean, the women's looking at the draw now. It is a, let's face it, you have New Zealand, France, Ireland, and Fiji all on the other side of the pool. Of the side of the draw, like you may, you should be making a final there. Yeah, men, Fiji in the semi, that's going to be a tough one. Like the Fiji always get the better of better. It could be yeah, so it could be Fiji, USA, or Samoa. So like three absolute killers there. But you know, they, I think, I think Australia got got both outings done in the Oceania event. I think a couple of months ago. So like, there's confidence there. But you know, it's a joy, joy of this Australian team is they're so consistent. Is what I loved is. And I think the knockout format sort of suits the men because they, you know, Fiji can be inconsistent, fall, can lose a couple of games, you know. The Kiwis and, and even South Africa have shown, and South Africa last tour looked absolutely gassed at some point. So, like, these teams are vulnerable and this this type of format alludes to a team which can just kind of maintain that level, which is which has been what the men's side has been really good at. So I think they're, they're both two legitimate title chances. You know, it's a, a a really good thing about the sevens at the moment. If our teams don't perform well, there's a very silly chance that one of our referees will be in the playoffs um, refereeing big games. So there is a trade-off because obviously we can't referee our own country, but when our country's not at the top of the, the, the pecking order, normally our refs are. So Geordie Way, Ruben and, and Tyler Miller all over there at the moment are all in a shot for some playoff games. So... Um. Yeah, just a silver lining, as we there's, mentioned. There's the official in you. There's. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love that we've we've got uh, we've got ref comp ref comp as well as uh, as the player comp as well. 
who do we which should we should we do a, a fun prediction and say which which Aussie which Aussie if the if the boys don't make it to the final or the girls don't make it to the final which Aussie ref will be making the will be hosting the how high will the boys get will the ref boys get? Oh, mate, <laughs> I think I think Geordie ref the final in LA the other week. Um, Ruben ref the final in I want to say Singapore or Canada. Um, in the previous one, so they're they're all there or thereabouts. So um, Tyler, I think refereed the bronze medal match at the the Com Games. Um, couldn't referee the final, obviously, because our girls were involved in that. So like we're there or thereabouts. So it, it's it's we're doing some good things in that sevens officiating space as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, it is a it's a late one, and I think we've uh, we've run over time as always in typical drop kickoff fashion. Um, but I will say uh, thank you to both Nathan and uh, and cheers. So, thanks so much, Graham, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking uh, talking rugby and to- also talking laws of the game with you. It's uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. I'm assuming you're going to be at Kingsway Sports uh, Complex this weekend for the uh, Fortescue Premier Grade Grand Final as well. Will you be uh, Will you be there sinking some tins? Uh, no, mate. I'll be um, trying to keep my whistle in my pocket. Um, <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually officiating the game, so. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so, um, refereeing some club footy. So you'll you'll actually see a couple of us. You'll see Bears refereeing the knockout um, prelim or whatever they call it in Hospital Cup this weekend, um, and myself in in Perth. So. Back to club rugby for us, and then obviously Gussie did the shoot shield game um, last weekend. So back to grassroots, mate, where it all began. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Um, thank you so much, both of you. Um, hope you hope to all of our listeners, uh, you will catch you the next time round, uh, and hopefully next week we'll be talking about a Wallabies win. Go the Wallabies. What did go wrong? I have to look, look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Sirly Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic. Sirly Bombo, very interesting, very good. Yeah, very good. Three cheers for Sirly Bombo. Very good, very good. <laughs>